Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, and this episode is sponsored by my Root Cause program. So if you guys haven't heard about that one before, jump to the link in my bio on my Instagram, have a little watch of the video and send me a DM if you have any questions about it. Now, today I have the privilege of chatting to Chloe. Chloe Sheehan, am I saying that right? Yep, you are. <laughs> awesome. Um, Chloe practices in Newcastle, so New South Wales, Australia, for those that are overseas, at the Hormone Health Studio. So she's a special interest in female health and has focused her practice on empowering, educating young girls and women on the importance of their bodies, particularly the menstrual cycle and the complex interplay of hormones from puberty through to perimenopause. So that whole range for us. Uh, We will jump into it today, but Chloe's after feeling like her body was trying to communicate with her in another language, which I know so many of you can resonate with, Chloe decided to enroll in Bachelor of Health Science to understand better what was going on with her symptoms. Uh, Now a university qualified naturopath, health educator and self-confessed hormone whisperer. I love that. (laughs) Chloe helps, uh, supports people to understand, overcome their health concerns and ultimately reach a state of balance, which I can firsthandly say she's amazing at what she does because I have semi-worked with Chloe before and she is (laughs) brilliant. So thank you so much for being here today. What an intro. Thank you. I know. I'm like, I can applaud and the end. (laughs) (laughs) No, thanks for jumping on. You're obviously very passionate about what you do and you've probably got a bit of a health story behind why you went down this field as well. Yeah. And I think like when I was young, I had always questioned why, especially about health. I remember sort of questioning, you know, why some people got warts and other people didn't. And then, you know, all those like little interesting things, I didn't just accept, okay, that's the reason, you know, it's sort of one answer thing. I wanted to delve into it more. Mm. Um, And then I was, my family, like my sister, she was going through some health issues when she was young and my mum went and saw a naturopath. And I guess it just sort of sticks in the back of your mind. And then, you know, you finish school and like most people, you probably have no idea what you want to do. Um, And then it's sort of, I realised, okay, this is the pathway that I wanted to go down, especially because I was experiencing some of my own sort of hormonal symptoms. Mm, Yep. And what, if you don't mind asking, what were some of those symptoms that you really struggled with? Yeah, so I so I noticed that I went on the pill, well, late teens and throughout 
going on that pill. It's almost like you just accept the pill that you're on. Um, and I was sort of experiencing hair thinning, still breakouts. Um, I thought I'd come off it. I was experiencing recurrent vaginal infections, um, experienced post-pill PCOS diagnosis. There was just, it was ever-changing and I just got so curious about it. Um, and I guess that really, that was all sort of happening whilst I was in maybe my first and second year of uni. And yes. so you are your best sort of test, funny, yeah. really to sort of say, okay, what's going on and experiencing these symptoms firsthand. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then that kind of led you, I guess, down this pathway and then eventually to, I guess, start your own studio and sort of make, or the hormone studio, make those changes with people. Yeah, so um, I started practising at the start of the pandemic. Yay. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, you really just got to make your own way. And I think especially in our industry, it's really it's really up to you to sort of put in that drive, put in that energy mm. and portray what you want and, and generate those clients. Um, I always had an interest in paediatric nutrition because prior to working as a naturopath, I was a disability carer yeah. and saw the firsthand um, impacts of medications on children, children with nutrition, with epilepsy, autism um, on the spectrum. So that was sort of my passion, but I guess, you just sort of fall into, you know, when you first started, you don't choose your clients, they just come to you. And then that's sort of your niche. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And now your real niche is, I guess, that um, hormonal health yeah. aspect and, you know, focusing and seeing those changes. And like you said, from pubescent all the way through to perimenopause. Yeah, so the clinic that I work at, Hormone Health Studio, it is owned and run by Georgia Hartman. I went to uni with her. And when I moved up to Newcastle as she was opening the clinic, there was just that opportunity for me to start. And it was just so serendipitous how well it worked. And we love what we do. And we're so passionate about getting this clinic, um, especially this face-to-face -face clinic, really sort of happening in the clientele that we see is, you know, even young people going through puberty up until menopause. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And today we are going to chat about uh, laparoscopy. I'm going to try and get my tongue around that again. Laparoscopy. <laughs> laparoscopy yes. Laparoscopies. Yeah. And recovering from that. And I guess it'll be, it's an interesting topic because I like, I see in clinic all the time with women. So, you know, so many women have got endo or recovering from surgery or about to go into surgery, all those sides of things. But I think also you've got firsthand personal experience with it as well, I believe. Yeah. So I have always suffered painful periods. I was, you know, I'd take time off school. Um, I would experience that sort of first day, really bad period pain. Mm -hmm. Some cycles are 10 out of 10 uh, pain. It's usually not very responsive, very influenced by um, impacts, you know, external impacts and also health impacts as well. Um, and so 2022 was really my investigative year. Um, I unfortunately suffered two early pregnancy losses and I was just going through some other sort of investigations around pelvic pain and health and eventually my surgeon at the time or my um, yeah my uh, my fertility specialist recommended that laparoscopy would be the next thing to do mm -hmm. and 
it just sort of seems, you know, you're following that, okay, what's next, what's next? And then you just end up um, going in for surgery. And so, yeah, and as like, like you as well, I have a lot of clients who have gone through laparoscopy, uh, recovered from that, had diagnoses. Um, yeah, so I feel now having that unlived experience, it gives me sort of that next level to be able to support my clients. And if you don't mind me asking, what stage endo were you like? How severe was your surgery and things? Well, this is the thing that... You, when you go in for surgery, you don't know what you're going to find. It's almost like a jack-in-the-box. You're going in and the whole point of it is because you can't see deeper than there. And so my surgeon came over to me and he put his hand on my shoulder post-surgery and was like, okay, good news and bad news, you don't have endo. And the bad news of that is the fact that everybody wants a reason. Everyone wants a cause and a reason so that they can then fix it. And so in my mind, I almost convinced myself that I would have had endo or some sort of inflammatory condition. So it sort of, it threw me into a bit of a headspin because it's almost like, of course, nobody wants endo, but when you're at that stage of saying, well, at least I know if I have it, I know which pathway to go down. I can fit into the community of endo warriors. Um, it gives you almost that sort of second identity. And so now I'm still in that same position, mm. financially worse off, recovering, yeah. and I don't have any further explanation or diagnoses. Yeah, yeah. And your symptoms are pretty classically endo, like heavy, painful period stuff. Like is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, not really heavy, heavy periods, but it's more just the pain. Um, the, uh, that's managed well by over-the-counter pain medication and you know supplements, yeah. herbal medicine, but still there. And so that's enough to warrant investigation. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like my best friend and cousin, I had her on the podcast uh, a week or two ago, um, episode 99 for anyone listening, and we chatted about her endo and she had endo and adenomyosis. So she had both of them and hers was so severe. Like it's just, she was just riddled with it in a sense and just that debilitating pain, that heavy blood loss, that bleeding and all that stuff. And it's just really interesting because some people, yeah, have stories like yours and I hear both ends where Mm -hmm. it's like they don't have anything particularly. I've had a couple friends like that and then others who are just like riddled with it or, you know, I had someone the other day it was attached to their bed and they need now get a bowel surgeon in there when they're doing it next time and like there's just so much going on there and the complexity of endometriosis and adenomyosis is that you can have stage four endo Mm -hmm. and minimal pain symptoms or you can like me have no endo and have 10 out of 10 pain and that's why it really requires that additional approach um, and not And I unfortunately fell victim of that, just being maybe like cognitive dissonance of, oh, yeah, my clients all have this and surrounded by it, you know, all the bloating, this and that. I've got it. I've definitely got it. Not a problem. But I don't. And so you have to open your mind up to saying, okay, you can't just be, it's not black and white here. Yeah, yeah. And for those who are listening, um, maybe you can touch on what actually (laughs) laparoscopy surgery is because I assume there's maybe people who are going actually I haven't heard of that before or I've got these heavy painful periods I didn't know surgery was an option 
Yes, it's a lot of technical terms, but I'll explain what they mean. But before, like I do sort of discuss um, the topics surrounding this um, and just sort of general surgery, I just want to make a point of saying that this information is more general um, and does not sort of override what surgeons sort of say. Um, and yeah, so really what I had was the investigative, investigative laparoscopy, which means that it is keyhole surgery, similar for if you were going in to get your gallbladder removed. Um, laparoscopies, uh, especially gynecological ones, are, are used sort of in the diagnosis of pelvic pain, such as endo, adeno, sterilization, polyps, fibroids, scar tissue removal, ectopic pregnancies, and tubal reconstructions. So they're very common. Um, it, it requires a keyhole incision in the belly button. Um, what that does then is they, they insert a tube that pumps your stomach up with carbon dioxide. Um, that way you're removing your organs away from your stomach or abdominal tissue so that they get a really good view. And then depending on what you're going in for, they do either make one or several other incisions, one sort of at that typical cesarean line. Um, and if there is sort of like endometriomas on the ovaries, then that, of course, they'll go either side of that as well to sort of get as close as possible. My incisions um, are almost like a finger width wide, uh, really super tiny. I can't even see the one in my belly button. So... So then it's interesting because like you think of that and you go, oh, there's not a lot going on there, but you still clearly have a recovery process. And like I, the people I know whose recovery is taking quite a long time, they've had a lot of lesions removed. So it would vary from person to person then. Exactly. Um, you don't necessarily, everybody's recovery is unique, um, but all but, like, of course, you know, if you've got a couple of young kids and you can't really sort of be in bed for three days or, you yeah. know, so many different reasons. But, of course, what you're going in for, especially if there is that ridden endometriosis everywhere and they are they are excising it, which means that they are using a scalpel to sort of dig in, which is the gold standard to remove endo compared to ablation, which is using sort of laser removal that's sort of more being phased out from my understanding and excision there. It does mean more intense recovery, but you are sort of getting the roots of the endo out. As so a, I didn't have that. Yeah, yeah. As a practitioner, um, is surgery around endo and things like hysterectomy and stuff, is that something that you often recommend to clients or you err on the side of caution or you go, you know what, I'm pretty anti it because I think there's other approaches? Where do you kind of stand on those things? I, I am almost like not the fence sitter, but I sort of, I provide an unbiased opinion of positives and negatives for mm. both things. It's almost like I question, you know, why they say, I, I just want to do surgery. I say, okay, what have you done? And it's almost like I'm trying to get that out of them. Definitely not giving them a yes or a no uh, option. Um, it really depends on their level of pain, their impact on quality of lifestyle, um, what they have done before that whether or not they've been trying for pregnant pregnancy losses as well so and also financially you know it's if you're going private then you're looking at around at least four thousand up to ten thousand out of pocket 
Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. The cost of it can be crazy as well. Um, I think that's a really good point and it's really interesting. And for those listening, if you're like it's it's one of those things that it's a tool and you use it on the spectrum with everything else that you're kind of considering. Like you said, if someone comes to you and you haven't looked at, you know, or they haven't looked at diet or hormones or mm-hmm. gut health or, you know, stress reduction or exercise or anything, then, you know, we tend to say, well, I wouldn't do that first. I would maybe book in appointments and get the ball rolling if that's the way you're going to go. But there's so like, there's so many interplays with it because you're looking at like that immune and that gut and that hormone, like there's so many different things to consider. And if they're coming to us and making an appointment, they're already considering Mm -hmm. Uh, an additional sort of understanding of what's going on. And so this is where we can use our knowledge and evidence based around what we know about endo, which is an ever-changing sort of condition. Um, And just to sort of throw a little um, stat in here, the prevalence of endo is one in nine, similar to that of diabetes. However, diabetes gains so much more funding worldwide compared to a condition like endo. So eventually when it does get more awareness and more funding, that's when we start to do more testing, more research around it, and the more we'll sort of be able to support people without surgery. There is already investigations into how to use ultrasound, a less invasive way, to diagnose endometriosis because at the end of the day, that's what people want to know. Do I have it or don't I have it? Yeah. How does it impact you if you know that you have it or you know that you don't have it? So, me well... For a client perspective, then you can sort of say, okay, we know that there's an inflammatory, potentially Mm -hmm. immuno relation here. Um, We know that there's some stats around fertility. But then when we think about some research studies, and you're probably very aware of this study already involving N-acetylcysteine and a cohort of women in Italy where they gave them um, interventions of N-acetylcysteine over a course of however long um, and they got statistically significant results. Almost these people who were booked in for laparoscopies uh, cancelled their surgeries because they had reductions in lesions as well as pain. Yeah, it's almost like um stuff like myositol and PCOS. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just these certain things that just work really well and can replace, you know, to replace metformin or whatever. But like there's just things that do tend to work really well. And then also like you've said earlier, like your dietary stuff plays such a big role. And you know, we know doing Dutch testing and comprehensive hormone testing just gives us so many answers around sort of what's driving that estrogen stuff as well, which is awesome. So if someone's come to you and they're thinking about getting surgery, is there certain things you can recommend for them to sort of prepare or get ready for surgery? in a sense yeah so I I would um I just wanted to touch on as well with the surgery of laparoscopy it is also common for people to um, have a procedure called a hysteroscopy as well which is basically um, a camera inside the vaginal canal through the cervix and to look at the uterus And so really what they're doing for that as well is they're checking because with the laparoscopy, you're only sort of seeing the external um, tissue of the organs, whereas going in through the cervix um, to have a look inside the uterus can also uh, be an additional sort of um, thing there as well to 
diagnose, okay, is there a reason for infertility, removal of polyps, removal of fibroids, um, a condition called Asherman's syndrome, which is scarring of the uterine um, lining. So that those two together, um, mm. laparoscopy and hysteroscopy are usually paired. You know, they want to do as much as they can while they're in there and whilst you're under GA or general yeah. anesthetic. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so when you mentioned, okay, what can you do to, to prepare for laparoscopy? First thing that I would recommend is really make sure that you've got a good understanding. Um, if you've already had that appointment with your surgeon, know exactly what they're going to do, what you're booked in for. What, what happens is that we get this, I think it's called white coat syndrome. It's almost like we feel that they're inferior. We just sort of listen to them and just be like, yep, yep, whatever you say. But at the end of the day, you are the client and it's your body that is going to go through all of this. So ask questions. As silly as you think they are, ask them again if you don't understand what they're saying. Um, it, that, that's really important. That's probably the number one thing that I would say. And have a read through the information that they send through to you in terms of like your surgery um, information of what you're booked in for and the things that they're doing. Yeah, that's really good advice because, I mean, how many times do we even just go to a doctor's appointment and we don't know something and they're like, take this or do this, and you're like, mm, okay, all right, I guess if you say so, it's the correct thing to do. Like, you're, yeah, you're bang on there, definitely reading through and getting an understanding and even for your own awareness and your own body as well and going, oh, that's actually what they're doing because, you know, like most people aren't sort of dealing dealing working with this stuff every day like you and me so they don't have that same sort of understanding of it or what they're actually doing and even then until you go through it you don't look as closely into the whole um thing I suppose I remember just before I was about to go in for the surgery lying on the bed you know in my gown whatever my surgeon came over and he was you know small talk you're okay chloe yep every and i was like um can we also can you do when you go in through the hysteroscopy can you also do a biopsy he's like uh yeah if you want to i was like yeah can we do a biopsy just to sort of check the tissue and you know it's like it's sometimes it's got to be that balance of you know understanding yes they're in, you know they're in control here they're going to do their best job but also having autonomy over the situation yeah um yeah so i guess some other things you know if you are you know if you haven't booked in for surgery yet i would sort of consider your options around what are some other things to do if you say can't afford surgery seeing a naturopath number one seeing a pelvic floor specialist getting acupuncture um, investigating you know nutritional deficiencies nutrition there's so much mm. but then if you are booked in for this one as well then yeah it, that's where sort of um, what I'll be talking about more and that's just because I've been through laparoscopy yeah yeah for sure and it's I guess there is all those different things to think about and a lot of people kind of forget that they kind of just go oh well you know I'll book my surgery and I'll be done and that'll be it as well like mm -hmm. we also go well once I have this and I have this diagnosis because you're going in with the the mindset that you're going to have it you're going to have a diagnosis they're going to treat it quote unquote mm -hmm. you guys can't see me but air quotes here and then um that's going to be it and you're going to be all good but like you may know that's not always the case, is it? And do you know much about the recurrence of surgery or how often we're, we're, you know, women are going back and getting surgery again? I had 
um, a client who was young 20s who's already had six surgeries. And I have had some clients who have only had one surgery when they were around 20. And potentially now that they're reaching that sort of perimenopausal, heavy bleeding sort of coming back, they're thinking about going in for a DNC, but mm -hmm. under a different guise of laparoscopy. So it really depends on the aggressiveness of yeah. the endo. Yeah, yeah, wow. And whether it was ablation or whether it was excision, um, whether... Yeah you know, hormonal interplay as well. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because you're right. Like I think the most complex thing is that you've got this immune component and then you've got obviously the hormone component. There's a genetic component as well, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, I think the thing, there has to be a genetic component because endo has been found in young boys, endo has been found on the thumb, endo has been found in people who aren't even menstruating. So we need to sort of, there's so much about endo that we are yet to sort of understand, but there's, yeah, there is that genetic um, predisposition. Yeah. And it's just a matter of, you know, the, the amount of hysterectomies happening, say in the sort of 80s and 90s compared to now how many of those women were experiencing endo that was not diagnosed wow yeah yeah you're right because our technology is only just kind of advancing now in a sense like mm. it's the, uh, the year average to diagnose so which is still yeah. ridiculous yeah yeah that's crazy and to think of like the amount of women who struggle in pain with it as well and I think of like at work and those kinds of things or girls going home from school and all that mm. stuff and just going well it's just period pain and you know that's quote unquote normal and you know that just happens every month like I mean I even had friends like that at school who had to go home from the pain and you kind of like wow like I never experienced that onset of pain I've PCOS well PCOS symptoms instead kind of thing but it's just it's so debilitating and I don't know like you can speak firsthand from that I'm sure well yeah but then you do it once and then you realize you get to go home and watch ready steady cook when you're in year 11 and so it's sort of like if I can go home with a couple of Panadol and take an afternoon off so I think of course mine maybe wasn't as, as severe as sometimes as it could have been but there is definitely those people who you know, bleed through their pants at school and excruciating yeah. period pain, fainting, all the rest of it. So such a spectrum. The things that come with blood loss, like, are really scary on your body as well. You're thinking mm. of that. But then, you know, like even the fertility stuff or the pain with intercourse and those kinds of things, I guess, are also very yeah, debilitating and um, hard and, you know, those sort of constant emotional struggles as well beyond just the physical pain. And it's the location really of the endo that predicts or an impact of fertility. One in two people with endo will struggle more to fall pregnant. So there's still 50% of people who can have stage four endo and conceive fine. And so I think you have to treat that individual, which is exactly what our area of work focuses on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, it's so interesting because like my cousin was talking about earlier, she had two sets of twins, you know, and she's got mm. endo and adenomyosis and a whole heap of other immune stuff going on. But it was like, bam, straight away within 18 months of each other, not even that between the kids. And yeah. it was like twins, twins again. So you just, 
you just don't know like there's, there's no, no rules no there's no, no rules at all um post-surgery was there things that helped you like you know you're obviously sort of going through and any kind of surgery I want to say is semi-traumatic in a sense you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what it's going to be like after you there's so many unknowns it's almost like relaxed trauma because you've got that blissful sort of unaware ignorance and then it's like well what the hell happened to me yeah um I should just say as well I I have made a um an ebook or a handout for people um it going into a lot more detail about pre-op your pre-operative tips and also post-operative tips. Now, again, it's just sort of a lot of information, but you can pick and choose what's suitable for you. Um, The only thing that I would mention sort of as a um, pre-surgery was, you know, understand what you need to take to the hospital and really speak to your boss, speak to your family members and friends And you don't know how long it's going to take for you to recover. So it's better for you to book in that two weeks rather than, you know, say, oh, I'll be back to work next Monday because you really don't know. And, you know, it it can be a bit of a personal topic to talk about, um, but I think you need to allow yourself recovery time because you don't necessarily know what they're going to find, what they're going to remove. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, With the post-op, the one a couple of big things that most people do experience post laparoscopy is going to be the gas pains like i mentioned before they pump you up with the carbon dioxide and so you know like i've um like i've heard my friends say after cesarean the best way to sort of deal with these gas pains is burp fart burp fart and so however you can get that gas out because what happens is the gas will try to remove itself out of your body and that can um that can be experienced as shoulder tip pain and so not even that sort of lower abdominal pain it's the shoulder tip pain that can be really quite painful and debilitating for people wow yeah and so gas pains, nausea, which is quite common after general anesthetic, the sleepiness, um, some people may experience some bleeding, constipation um, and pain at the incision sites. And I'll talk about those a little bit more. But one thing that I wanted to mention that maybe isn't talked about as often is your mental health um, symptoms that can come post-surgery. It's, it's almost like you go in there and you may have these preconceived ideas of recovery, of diagnosis, like we were saying. And so it can be a massive journey coming out of that and just sort of dealing with the come down of pain medication, especially for me feeling like as the female, why do I have to endure all of the investigations when it comes to fertility? Mm. Um, you know, there's so much to it, but I think it's okay to sort of be upset, have, you know, down days, um, as long as you're allowing yourself to do so in that recovery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I know, like you said, like that recovery time is so different for everyone in a sense as well. Do you feel like you were well prepared pre and post surgery? Like, is that something? Yeah, I was probably too prepared. Yeah, yeah. I had, and you know, half of the things I didn't even do, I was like, okay, I've got this heat back here and I've got this, yeah. this heat back and, you know, I've got my stewed apples and rhubarb in the fridge. I just wanted chocolate. I just wanted to watch the white Lotus. Yeah. You know, I just, <laughs> I, my biggest thing for me was do not get constipated. I just, I'm like a little baby. If I feel constipated, yeah. I'll just be sooky, grumpy, you know? And so I was eating my kiwi fruits, um, 
trying not to overdo it physically, which I probably did on the third day. Um, but yeah. Other than that, yeah, it's pretty. Other than, other yeah, than that, yeah, the constipation is a big one. I know that in a lot of clients as well. And I'm the same with you. After having years of constipation, now if I ever get constipated, I just hate it because I know oh, how good it feels day. not to be constipated. <laughs> that I'm like, this is not normal. What is going on? And I'm yeah. like, don't talk to me. Don't deal with me. Don't. I just need to go drink some freaking magnesium and yeah. eat some prunes and then we'll be good again. Like, yeah. 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 That's where, like, I, I swear I say the word pooforia like almost every day. I'm like, that's the goal once you're like almost 30. It's just like yeah. nothing yeah. else compares. <laughs> no, no, you are 100% right. Um, And then there there are some recipes in your handout recipes, well. Yes. Um, talking about new, really the recipes, what the focus is on is around protein because protein then breaks down to support um, your tissue recovery, supports collagen synthesis. Um, so making sure that you're eating good quality protein, making sure that you are having enough vitamin C, whether that be in supplementary form, whether that also be in fruits like, sorry, foods like, um, you know, citrus fruit, kiwi fruit, um, orange juice, um, broccoli, and then fiber. So those were sort of like my three biggies, protein, fiber, um, and vitamin C, and of course, zinc as well in there too. But I, a lot of my recipes that I've listed are delicious, but are also easy on the stomach, easy to digest. But I do list in there sort of specific supplements that can work fine with medication. That will be your peppermint capsules to support the bloating um, and reducing sort of the gas. Um, vitamin C again, zinc. Um, if you wanted to take a collagen powder, you could. But I just could sort of go into the main things that if you were going to take something, those would be it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then what's next? Like if you've gone through this whole process and you've had surgery, I guess you've kind of got to go, well, you know, you've got endo and what are you doing with that moving forward so that you don't go back into surgery or like yourself going, okay, well, I don't have endo, that's ruled out. You know, then you're kind of starting to look at those next steps. Like mm. you must feel a little bit at crossroads now going, okay, well, what next? I, I'm sort of that person who is almost like, cool, what do we do next? Yep. And then what next? And so I've probably condensed what would be someone's maybe three-year fertility journey into 12 months. Um, And of course that has its pros and cons. Um, But I think uh, with, you know, my acupuncturist, my surgeon, they all just say to me, chill out and not in a condescending way, but in a way of like, trust in your body's ability to recover. Yes, it's horrible um, on a physical perspective and also mental health that I have experienced losses, but also I need to trust in my body that it can do what it needs to do given the right environment, um, support my health uh, with whatever that sort of looks like. But yeah, it's sort of seeing what my what periods are like, especially for people, their first sort of period after surgery, hard to tell, is it, you know, a combination of, influence of pain medication, general anaesthetic. So I think it's almost like you've got to take it month by month and as symptoms do arise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. And then if you don't, like you touched on earlier, if you didn't want to go down that sort of medical route or didn't want to go down surgery, you know, is working with, you know, uh, someone who's a bit more holistic, naturopath, nutritionist like yourself, myself, whatever, is that sort of your main other option or what other things can you be doing? 
I, I think it, it's it, the thing is that it, you can see it all over social media. It's almost like everyone is this endo specialist and all you'll see is cut out gluten and dairy, which, you know, you don't want to be dealing with pelvic pain and then also have to restrict one of life's greatest pleasures, which is croissants. And so I think it's just about understanding what works best for you. What are your triggers and learning how to live through that? There's a lot of great upcoming evidence supporting low FODMAP, sort of like your anti-inflammatory Mediterranean style diet for endometriosis, um, focusing on the foods that you can eat rather than this big list of foods that you shouldn't be eating, um, targeted supplements, um, supporting pain, speaking to pelvic floor specialists, especially if there's sort of bladder or um, incontinence issues happening there. Um, like I said before, acupuncturist, but there's a lot of different ways that you can have support and it's easy to want to do all of them, but really with what I sort of say and what we do say to our clients in the clinic, give yourself three months, a minimum of three months with really focusing and targeting on a goal and working with somebody. After that three months, then sort of reconsider, is this working for me? Is it aligning with me? If not, what's the next thing? Don't just do don't just sort of dip your finger into it and try a little bit say not not for me moving on to the next thing yeah and the biggest thing like on that low FODMAP stuff and obviously um you guys listening know that I've got a heap of episodes on that but in all my endo clients they've all tested positive for SIBO so we know from the research and the literature as well and even just now you know from first-hand experience that so many people have a SIBO overgrowth or for those who don't know what that is um, your small intestinal bacteria overgrowth but because you know there's is that link there and if there's lesions or the organs are sitting differently then they would be like there's just so many compounding factors there that you know going on something like a low FODMAP short term definitely will reduce a lot of your symptoms while you get to the root cause of what's going on because you're just removing all those fermentable fibers, which are just mm -hmm. going to sit there and create that gas and constipation, loose stools. But there is that other train of thought, which I don't strongly push, but it's definitely there about when you've got that immune system, things like gluten and dairy can really flare it up. But it's hard because I don't have any endo clients who don't have SIBO who I can then yeah. say try gluten and dairy is your immune like is your body responding to it or not because there's always a bacterial gut component and until you fix that we're well, probably going to react to those foods anyway and it's almost like how much are you having of that um, and we sort of say this blanketed thing of dairy but really what that what does that mean for somebody yeah. um, and I think a lot of it is working with somebody and and breaking it down and having this understanding so that you can move that into your lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, thanks for sharing on all that endo stuff. I know that's a topic that's super close to you, so it's nice to mm. sort of pick your brain on it. I briefly just wanted to chat to you about the vaginal microbiome because I know you're a bit of a guru in it and yeah. <laughs> I just think it's something that, you know, it's so complex and it's just one of those things that just goes and goes and goes like where do you start with is the end kind of thing but something I hear very commonly is people talk about you know bacterial vaginosis or thrush or candida or you know whatever it is just even just symptoms people don't usually come with the diagnosis they usually just come with symptoms but can you just chat on that for a little bit for us yeah so the vaginal microbiome is a really incredible 
um, space to sort of be working in, in terms of there's so much more that we're getting an understanding about, especially when it comes to fertility as well. Um, Tommy's a um, organisation in the UK. They had funded a really interesting study suggesting that women who experienced um, early miscarriage uh, were associated with lower levels of lactobacillus species in the vaginal canal. And so as well, previously where we thought the uh, the uterus was a sterile environment, we realised that there's now a uterine microbiome that we're working with. And that's where conditions such as endometritis, which is inflammation of the uterus, um, can impact fertility. So it's really fascinating and something that I do work closely with my clients with um, in terms of recurrent infections, because if you get a you know a, um, random bout of thrush or a random bout of BV and it clears up by conventional treatment, then okay, great, you understand, yeah. But most likely we know that, especially with BV, if you are treated with antibiotics, that six monthly reoccurrence is quite common. Mm. Um, and so when I speak to my clients about the vaginal microbiome, I th sort of think about it uh, in the sense of it's like, okay, if you are um, building and growing a veggie patch, you need to sort of think about the soil, the what you're growing in there, the environment that it's sitting in. And the why, why I think about that is because that vaginal microbiome is needs to be this tight um, controlled environment that is very influenced by external factors, by hormones. Um, that microbiome is largely made up by your lactobacillus species. And so with that lactobacillus species, they at their end stage fermentation, they produce lactic acid, which causes that vagina to be more acidic, sitting between sort of 3.5 to 5, which is quite acidic on the pH scale. And so when you have external factors such as semen or menstrual blood, which are both either neutral or more alkalized, you can throw off that delicate microbiome balance. And so it's really about restoring it back to what it was and providing you know, your body to be able to do that and working out what's the trigger here or the aggravating factor. I didn't know it was the six months. Like that's really interesting. Is that just yeah. for BB then? Because like thrush, say BB. someone uses over the counter stuff. Like you know, I was chatting to a chick the other day who's getting it every single month. So I'm assuming the, you know, the pessaries or whatever. That's not six months, but your metro. What is it called? Metronazole. Uh, yeah, that's the one. That is that more of a six month thing for your BB. It, well, it's just that reoccurrence. Um, unsure why, but it, it, you know, if you're, it, and it's it's a, it's a condition such as with thrush as well that can be passed back and forth with sexual partners. Mm -hmm. um, and so, when you're speaking to that individual, yes, it is personal, but you need to ask all the questions um, and saying whatever you're sort of putting in or around that area needs to be questioned. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, yay, everyone. I just passed my six months and I had no recurrence. Ooh, you get a certificate. Yeah, I know, because <laughs> that would have been June, July. That was right before three days where I flew out to Bali and I jumped on those antibiotics because I was oh, wow, stressing. Yeah, yeah, it would have been, yeah, it would have been July. Um, mm -hmm. But like exactly what Chloe said, if you do the right things and you feed that microbiome, because I, I mean, to be fair, I was 
very, very diligent. This is not just I did a treatment, didn't do anything, guys. I uh, mm. took all her advice and, you know, did the pessaries and did the Fleurstat and took everything with me. And if you do the right thing, like you said, it's same with your gut, same with anything. You can rebalance that microbiome. But I think what we forget is that these things take time as well, like feeding it or lactulose or whatever it is. It's like there's no just, okay, treat it, I'm done, like endo in the surgery, you know. Yeah, and just because you're growing mushrooms in the veggie patch doesn't mean that you have to throw away the whole veggie patch. You just have to reconsider what's happening and look at the environment, look at the influences there. That's a really weird analogy, but it sort of makes sense. With I get, yeah, I get. it's fungal. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And I guess it's one of those things like that, the symptoms are so debilitating in itself as well because you know there's if you get smell or the itchiness or the pain like I didn't get the smell or discharge but I just had the pain and I was like Mm. felt like a UTI like I felt I was dying but it's like if you have these symptoms or women who have the smell and the discharge I remember chatting to the group of women in Bali and a lot of them got reoccurring thrush infections because that a they're always in gym tights and gear because they're all fitness trainers mm-hmm. so it was this really interesting of going okay well you're in this environment where you're always sweating you're always in tight clothes you know all this stuff that you sort of put yourself at risk for it and then you get those symptoms and that just that sucks and it's embarrassing and it's it's not a nice place to be in no and so for you for us to have a client come to us and disclose that um you know we need to sort of have that gentle approach and say this is you know what is sort of going on and give them some understanding and just yeah be gentle around that whole process because not everyday people are talking about vaginal overgrowth like us no no and it's interesting because you know like the people that you and me follow on instagram and stuff you see like you see it quite regularly and even Mm. that book you shared today i went and followed that as you are yeah, 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 amazing. And I went and followed her Instagram and some of her podcasts and I was like, oh, this is yeah. so good. But it's it's in our thought pattern then, whereas yeah. most, you know, generalised, most women aren't following 10, 15 different microbiome account or vaginal microbiome stuff. Like That's it. like why people sort of be scrolling through social media. It's like, oh, fashion influencer, like matcha latte. And then there's like my post. It's like vaginal discharge, yeah, cloudy, yeah. clumpy. Like, it's just like, yeah, like oh. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I was yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Um, and for you guys listening who aren't following Chloe, go over to FEM underscore ED, so Fem Ed, and give her a follow because her information is great and also i will link in her website which is www.femed again so femed.com.au and you can find is your free ebook that you chat about is that on your website yet or are we waiting for it to go up on your website waiting but it shouldn't be by the press, time press this the podcast comes out, which is be a couple of weeks, it might be yeah. up. So yeah, it will definitely be there by then. Yeah. Easy. So you guys can jump over, have a look at that. She will probably let you know on her Instagram anyway once it's on her website because she's good like that. Give us a little reminder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> always helpful but thank you so much for jumping on today I honestly think you're amazing you're a world of knowledge and you you know your care to clients and you care for people and the way you treat people and go be like above and beyond for them is is really humbling thanks Sheridan it's been really good to chat 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking. Let's get women talking.